to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, joined as always by Tyler Burton. Tonight, we're going to get into some recruiting tidbits. We've got a new recruit committing today in Eugene Brooks. We've got a big recruiting week happening at OU with a lot of 2024 and 2025 players. Uh, and then, of course, we've got some question and answers that we took from you guys. So we'll dive into that here in a second. But uh, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm good, Adam. Uh, back in Denver, uh, finally had a chance to come back down, spend the weekend in Norman. Good to catch up, see some friends, see some family. Sad that I didn't get to see you. We could have done a live podcast. Would have been a lot of fun. But yeah, uh, excited to be back up here. Obviously, um, we're <laughs> the the finish line is near. With that finish line being the start of college football season, we're we're less than 40 days out. Uh, fall camp gets underway uh, early next week. Um, and I think uh, I think it was Jacob Sexton that tweeted out a little bit earlier today that Oklahoma had finished up the uh, summer session part of the uh, offseason workout program. So uh, the job is done. Um, is the job is you know almost done, but is far from over in terms of Jerry Schmidt and the uh, the impact that he's having on these guys. But yeah, things are good, Adam. Excited to uh, kind of get into this Q and A episode. We've got some good ones to answer tonight, and uh, obviously we're going to start with recruiting a little bit. Yeah, it's. Uh... There's a lot of good things happening on the recruiting trail. We just got Eugene Brooks committed to Oklahoma. He's a composite three-star. If you look at on three's rankings, uh, four-star by rivals and ESPN. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that came down to a battle with OU in Texas, and OU wins out there in the end. So you got to love to see that. I think he's a guy that naturally you will see him probably rise in the rankings. He's one of those offensive linemen in high school. You see a lot of these guys every year that are working on their body, and um, maybe he's probably carrying some bad weight. I think he's starting to take that a little bit more seriously. So Mm -hmm. hopefully we'll see that ranking increase as his senior season plays out. But definitely a huge need for Oklahoma to get a guy on the offensive line. He'll probably Mm -hmm. play on the interior side uh, and then becomes offensive lineman commit number two after Isaiah Autry. So obviously a long way to go for Bill Mm -hmm. Beanbow to finish out this class but another piece that OU desperately needed yeah it's the second offensive line commit for the 2024 class like you live to Adam anytime that you can win out over schools like the University of Texas and USC who also offered this kid and were you know really hoping to uh acquire his services getting on I'm pretty sure USC didn't want him you know yeah he didn't commit well that, so and, and now that he chose he chooses Oklahoma over Texas well did Texas really want him was it really a committable offer for him to go to UT he's just a three-star he's just a three-star we didn't want him but no I think that this is a good gift for Oklahoma obviously offensive line recruiting is something that you know many Oklahoma fans you know us especially we've been talking about all see all summer long just in terms of you know kind of some some ups and downs for Bill Beanbaugh uh, as far as what he's experienced. But, no, I think that this is a really good uh, get for Oklahoma, you know, composite three-star, but, you know, tremendous upside, six foot three, 320 pounds. I think when you look at this kid's tape, um, solid footwork, um, you know, pretty pretty good athletic ability. I think that the biggest thing that sticks out for me outside of this kid's strength and, you know, the, the pop that he has with his hands, you go back and you watch some of the highlights – it's very easy to see what Bill Beanbow likes about this kid. And it's the fact that he kind of he plays with the nastiness. He's got that grit. You know, he's kind of got that dog in him that we've seen from some of the, you know, uh, best offensive linemen that Bill Beanbow's put out, like a like an Orlando Brown or Creed or Ben Powers, some guys that just play, you know, maybe one or two seconds past the uh past the whistle. But yeah, I think that this is a good gift for Oklahoma. Uh puts Oklahoma in the on three, you know, team rankings right now, currently at fifteenth, and obviously you know, even though um, July has been a really good month on the recruiting trail for Oklahoma, um, August is shaping up to be, you know, even bigger and better. So it's it's um, Oklahoma fans enjoy the ride that we're on right now uh, because the month of August is only going to continue the hot streak that this coaching staff is on in the recruiting world. Yeah, and it 
there's a lot going on in Norman this week. You've got two different big recruiting events, and I know it's a little bit difficult to kind of keep straight here because OU hasn't really done it like this before, mm-hmm. but here in the mid- midweek, you've got Sooners under the stars, which is primarily 2025 and beyond class guys coming into Norman. So some of them are on campus right now. I know on Twitter this evening, some pictures of Michael Fasusi. Uh, he's the composite five-star offensive lineman in the mm-hmm. 2025 mm-hmm. class. Uh, he's already in Norman. He's not far away from OU. Uh, he <laughs> plays ball down in Louisville. So you know he knows all the guys from Denton on this OU roster. You know he knows Michael Hawkins and all those guys from the DFW area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've seen that. Uh, and then later this week, uh, on the weekend, you're going to have the party at the Palace, which is going to be a lot more 2024 guys. Uh, and one of the guys that's going to be coming in for that visit, it looks like, will be Grant Bricks, mm-hmm. uh, another offensive line piece, uh, likely an offensive tackle. And he's going to be, alongside visiting OU, he's going to be visiting his other finalists, K-State and Nebraska, uh, this week as well. How impactful would it be to have a guy like him uh, you know, come away as – uh, the next piece mm-hmm. of this offensive line. Because we talked about a few weeks back that, hey, this was kind of a concern, but if we are able to close the deal on Grant Briggs, mm-hmm. how would that make you feel, Tyler? Well, it's got to make you feel good. Obviously, transitioning into the SEC, not just becoming a part of that conference, but, you know, playing elite-level, you know, football, you know, at the collegiate ranks, it, it all starts, you know, in the trenches, both on the offense and defensive line. And I know that there's been a lot of talk, um, you know, a, a lot, a really a big emphasis put on the defensive line recruiting class that Oklahoma's putting together for 2024 and obviously 2025 is shaping up to be a big one. So anytime that you have the opportunity to get a guy like Grant Briggs on on campus this upcoming weekend or you get a guy like Michael Fasusi, the five-star, who many people, you know, think he has a really good chance to be the number one, you know, at least a top five offensive lineman in the entire country in the class of 2025. The fact that you've got Kevin Sperry that was able to be on campus today and be able to host this kid, uh, t- taking him through his recruiting visit. I think it just th- – it's a position where as good as Oklahoma sits right now at the quarterback position, at the skill talent around them, you've got to have those big boys up front on the offensive line to push those guys around because that's really where a, a um, recruiting class can kind of, you know, not just set them, not just you know set the bar, you know in terms of rankings, how high they can climb, you know amongst the other schools around the country. But the offense and defensive line cl- parts of your class, that's really what separates the Alabamas and the Georgias uh, from you know some of the teams a little bit lower tier. And obviously Oklahoma uh, is you know hasn't been on the same you know caliber of um, you know team as what we've seen from Alabama, Georgia, or even Ohio State but they are trending that way. And you get a guy like Grant Brooks to come on campus this upcoming weekend, you know, lay out your final pitch for him before he announces his commitment here in the coming weeks. Um, This is a big time visit for Oklahoma, and this is going to be a uh, in-person visit and a conversation that Bill Beanball just has to absolutely nail Um, you. I I think that in best case scenario, you really shut the door on Kansas State or Nebraska after this upcoming weekend. You do whatever it takes, whatever you have to say, what, whatever you have to do to get Grant Bricks to essentially say to essentially as he pulls you know out of you know the the parking garage on, on Aspen Jenkins. No doubt in my mind that Oklahoma is where I want to be. Not just you know for my playing collegiate ball, but this is also the program and the place that's going to set me up for you know potentially NFL play. Um, at the next level, or just basically setting myself up, you know, to be a, a CEO, a husband, you know, a boss, something like that at the next level too. So it's going to be big for the sole mission, Brent Venables and uh, Bill Beanball this upcoming weekend to nail uh, Grant Briggs. I'm not going to sugarcoat it or, or try to Here say, we go. Hey, everything's solved Here at this point. Uh, 
Um, Grant Bricks, I think, is definitely a toss-up in my mind at this point as to whether OU is going to be able to land him. And it, you definitely want to. I mean, this this guy would be the highest-rated offensive lineman in the class right now. He's he's top mm-hmm. 200, top you know uh, 150, pretty much everywhere you look across the the recruiting services there. So that would be an elite get for Bill Bedenbow. For the rest of the offensive line, like Eugene Brooks, I think that is a nice piece, probably developmental. I think Isaiah Autry is a nice piece, probably developmental. And then you look mm-hmm. at Josh uh, Isosa, who's not too far away from where I sit right now at Edmond Santa Fe. He's a guy that's only rated in two out of the four services right now, um, no higher than a three-star. So that guy certainly uh, looks to be like a developmental piece. So OU has struck out on a lot of other primary uh, lo- uh, players that they had been looking at. So getting Grant Bricks would be a nice step in the right direction. And I do understand that offensive line can be, I don't want to call it a crapshoot exactly, but it's an, it's a position where guys usually, you know, are going to take a couple of years to develop. So all of them are going to need that. I think it's hard to project there, but I think overall, this is still a position group that is disappointing, especially compared to the success that you're seeing at all sorts of other positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would like to see a lot better there. So, yeah, you really do need to uh, nail Grant Bricks here and make sure he's a part of this class because if he's not, I I really don't know where you're going at that point. I know there's the guy from from London yeah. who escapes me right now. He's been talked about on other <laughs> podcasts or other Sooner websites. But uh, and, and maybe that's a situation where maybe he's like a high four-star player. He just happens to be in England. I, sure. I don't know. But, sure. um, but OU has just struck out on so many different guys so far. Well, and I think that's that's the thing that, you know, is leaves Oklahoma fans, you know, scratching their heads so much. It's probably been the most disappointing thing. And you look at the track record at playing offensive linemen at the University of Oklahoma, you know, the elite level talent. I mean, the two best offensive tackles in pro football right now and arguably two of maybe the top ten offensive linemen in the history of the NFL and Lane Johnson and Trent Williams, you know, both played at the University of Oklahoma – if you want to get a little bit more recent and look at the guys that Bill Beanbow has, has developed and coached up and sent to the league, I mean, arguably one of the top tackles, you know, outside of Trent John or of Trent Williams and Lane Johnson, Orlando Brown, um, you know, fantastic player, Creed Humphrey, best center in, in the NFL right now, Ben Powers, he, uh, Anton Harrison, and Wanya Morris both just got drafted. Drew Samia uh, is playing, you know, as well. So that, that is kind of the thing that, kind of makes you kind of wonder is there what's what are we missing or essentially where's the where's kind of the um i don't know not necessarily the the loss but it's clearly that everything isn't fully clicking i don't know if it's from a messaging standpoint or i guess the better question is adam what what do you think oklahoma could be doing or not doing that is resulting on them kind of being left second or third in some of these recruiting battles. And again, I know you're going up against Michigan and I know you're going up against Alabama, you know, probably arguably the two best um, there. And you can even throw Georgia into that matter as well. The top two or three, you know, programs that are producing offensive line in the country right now. So you've got to just figure out a way, like we're seeing with the defensive line in this 2024 class, you've got to figure out a way moving forward, especially playing in the sec where, uh, you know, ball in the trenches is critical. You've got to figure out a way to start winning those recruiting battles and bringing in those, those big interior guys to go along with those, you know, dominant tackles out on the edge. Yeah, and it's not just Alabama and Georgia that you're losing guys to. Like Harrison Utley, your hometown kid from Norman, whose mom, I believe, works in the athletic department. I'm not worried about that. Sticking with his commitment to Kansas for now. Uh, you've got um, the other guy, who I, I, his name escapes me, from Lawrence, Kansas, that I think he committed to, I think it was, I want to say it was Nebraska, but at one point OU mm-hmm. was leading for him. 
Um, so, th- I mean, there's just, there's other misses that are happening there and it, it is kind of a little bit of a head scratcher because everything else seems to be going so much in the right direction there. Sure. So maybe we can focus a little bit more of our time on that because there are some, some big names that are coming into Norman. Mm-hmm. One of them that we talked about, um, that's actually going to be a part of the midweek visits that, uh, is mainly for 2025 guys, but is it? He himself is a 2024 player, is Williams Winery. Uh, you know, he's coming down with some of his teammates, uh, Isaiah Mosey, the uh, four-star wide receiver of the 2025 class that seems to be really interested in Oklahoma. He's a top mm-hmm. 200 wide receiver pretty much everywhere you look for the 2025 class. Um, and so he's got some teammates coming down with him. But Williams Winery, we tweeted this out this morning that, hey, if OU's able to land him and David Stone, add that to the already commitment of Taylor Tatum, OU will be the first team as far back as the on three composite records go, which they do go back to 2004, even though the website (laughs) did not exist. They go back pretty far. And so OU would be the first team to have the number one player at running back, at the interior defensive line, and an edge rusher position at defensive end is what we're expecting Mm -hmm. Williams Winery to play at. So OU could be the first team to get the top player in each of those positions. Well, first of all, Adam, shout out, you know, to you. Well done on the research, you know, tracking all that down. And, you know, the fact that this is something you look at, you know, some of the other teams in college football that have been, you know, just just as dominant, if not more so than Oklahoma over the last 15 uh, to 20 years, the Alabamas, you know, Georgia most recently, Ohio State, um, Oregon kind of back in the day, USC during the Pete Carroll era. The fact that during the last 15 to 20 years, no other program has done this. I think that that just kind of speaks volumes to the fact that how elite of a job and how good of a job, you know, this coaching staff has done for Oklahoma. When you talk about DeMarco Murray with Taylor Tatum, you talk about Miguel Chavis and, you know, Todd Bates. Ultimately, you know, there's two really, really big fish out there in David Stone and Williams Winery. But from everything that we're hearing, Oklahoma is continuing to trend in a positive direction for both of those guys. And that's one of the reasons why I think the month, the, the month of August will be even bigger and more impactful than what we just, what we're currently experiencing in the month of July. But yeah, um, it, it's a big, it's a big gift for Oklahoma, and you know, obviously, we'll talk about this a little bit in our Q and A because somebody brings up this point as well. This has an opportunity, Adam, when you're able to bring in, and again, if Oklahoma is able to land and sign, you know, guys like David Stone and Williams area, this is not just an elite class. This has the opportunity to be a program transforming class for this program as they go into the SEC, and that's something that Oklahoma desperately needs. Um, and again, things are trending in a very, very positive direction. You've already got one of the three in the boat right now. Now it's just a matter of convincing David Stone and Williams Winery to uh, go ahead and make that announcement. For Winery, there's a couple of other contenders there. He's going to make a visit to Oregon later this week. The first uh, official or first visit that I'm aware of. He sure. may have taken one previously, maybe in years past. Um, then you've got hometown or home state, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Georgia on there as well. haven't heard as much buzz around Georgia as of late after he made that kind of random visit there around the end of June. But out of those three, which one are you the most concerned about? I mean, Oregon, Georgia, and Missouri. Yeah. I mean, I think that many people would say, oh, you know, it's it's possibly the last visit that this kid is going to take, making the trip up to Oregon. We all know the um, – what the Ducks do and what that program does uh, when it comes to recruiting, especially when they get the last chance and, you know, the, the Phil Knight Nike money and the, the impact. I, I mean, OU's playing the game. OU now, is so. playing the game. It's a, it's about <laughs> damn time. But yeah, I think that people would say that Oregon would, would be the most concerning. I'm honestly going to kind of shy away from that. It kind of feels like that's more of a, 
I'm going to take that trip because I can. I'm also going to go with my coach and some of my teammates as well out there. I think that Missouri, because of the hometown aspect, because of the fact that Missouri, you know, Eli Drinkowitz is kind of in a is kind of in hot water right now. It kind of feels like he has an opportunity if Missouri doesn't show signs of improvement this year that they could possibly be making a change at the head coach position. Uh, but yeah, anytime that a program has a kid, number one overall player in the country, number one defensive lineman in the country in their home state, they're going to do anything and everything to, to try to get this kid to commit to them. So again, even though I know that the, uh, the Georgia talk has kind of uh, backed off a little bit and you know Oregon visit is looming here over the next couple of days I think that this is an OU Missouri battle um, and from everything that we've heard from everything that some of the experts have put out there they still feel very very positive that this is heading in a really good direction for Oklahoma uh, and you got to give a lot of credit to Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis for continuing to build this relationship continuing to make this kid a priority uh, and showing this kid that you know Oklahoma is the place that he can be not just you know, not just as a football player, not just as a person, but he also has the ability as a football player to come in and kind of basically be the guy that has an opportunity to change its program or at least change the way that the that the uh, the narrative based around Oklahoma defense uh, is is out there right now. So this is a big time, uh, big time recruitment, and we'll see if Oklahoma can't close the deal. Two more players here, and then we'll we'll jump over to question and answer here. But two guys that OU is battling. LSU for uh Caden Durham I believe he's going to be in Baton Rouge this weekend Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think he's going to be in Norman at all but um OU kind of the favorite as of right now but again another visit uh to a different school there and then you've also got Dominic McKinley a guy from the boot but I mean the buzz right now as at least as far as what you're hearing from a lot of different recruiting services is that uh, LSU has a lot of ground to make up with the home state uh, defensive mm-hmm. lineman there, Dominic McKinley, probably about as high of a four-star as you can be without being a five-star. Um, but it sounds like Todd Bates has been hitting the right notes so far in that. Yes, he You've has. You've got Texas A&M in the picture. You've got Texas in the picture. You've got Ohio State in the picture. So with any elite defensive lineman, there's going to be a long, long battle there. Mm-hmm. I-, I think Caden Durham, I think we all kind of feel decent about. But with Dominic McKinley – like, I, I guess there can't be like a super high level of confidence at this point, but mm-hmm. are you starting to at least buy into the hype a little bit that, Oh, you could be a contender or like a legitimate contender that wins out, I guess. Adam, I'm going to take it one step further. I think that Oklahoma fans should feel more confident with where OU stands right now with Dominic McKinley, as opposed to Kane Durham. Now, Again, Ooh, with bold. hot take, and again with these two guys, obviously, anytime that you have an opportunity to take a, to take a high four star running back, especially out of that program down in Duncanville, who is just a pipeline right now for Division One uh, college football. Kane, you know, if if you're able to get a guy like Kane Durham, who's a you know really good change of pace guy, you know, elite track speed, you know, just a a dual all purpose running back. If you're able to pair him with guys like Taylor Tatum and Xavier Robinson, who Oklahoma has already gotten the commitments from, I mean, that's, I, I wouldn't, and again, I don't want this to come off saying in, in a, you know, in a negative way, but that's almost like icing on the cake. It's not an essential player when you've already got Tatum and Robinson in the boat. You obviously want to have this kid. You can't have too many running backs, you know, in that room, especially playing in the SEC with that level of physicality. But I do think that. I do think that Oklahoma is trending in a more positive direction right now. I think that the momentum is more on their side with Dominic McKinley than it is with Caden Durham. Obviously, when it's OU-LSU, 
and it's a defense. It's a you know a top you know one fifty top two hundred defensive lineman from the state of Louisiana. You're going to be fighting that battle all the way up until this kid signs. I don't care if he commits now. I don't care if he commits on signing day or during an All American game. Um, but yeah, I think that Oklahoma has made it abundantly clear that they are going all in on the defensive line class for 2024. And this is just another one where if you're able to, you know, pair up Williams Winery with David Stone, with Wyatt Gilmore, with Jaden Jackson, and you throw in Dominic McKinley as, as well, I'm no doubt about it. I mean, it, it's not, you know, up for debate. That is the best defensive line class in the history of OU football. And I, I like where Oklahoma sits right now, obviously a long way to go. Uh, but Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis and, you know, Brent Venables, they are recruiting their asses off right now. And we'll just see if they can't close out. It's paying huge dividends. Um, I like the momentum on both of these guys, even more so with McKinley over Durham at this point in the game. Certainly not an either or situation, but if OU was forced to make a decision on which player would you take and which player would you leave? I think, yeah, Dominic McKinley. Not even close. There. Not even Defensive close. line. Yeah. Always got to go that direction. I so. agree with you there. Let's jump into our Q&A. Uh, we asked for questions on Twitter and, and a few other places, and we got some uh, different ones that we want to walk through here. Sure. Uh, so we'll walk through these pretty quick to uh, to wrap up the show. But uh, Jordan Esco uh, jumped us off. He gave us a few different ones. We'll sprinkle them throughout. Uh, he said, true or false, there is a current player or players on this roster today that will win national awards during their time in Norman. So that could be the Heisman. It could be Ben Narek, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Tyler, true or false here? I'm gonna go true here. Um, I think that there's two. I think that there's two possible players that, that you could see, um, you know, fighting for one of these, uh, you know, a handful of these awards. I mean, obviously, you look at a guy like Jackson Arnold in this system with Jeff Levy. I mean, obviously, the Heisman comes into play. The Maxwell, the Davy O'Brien, are, are ones that I think this kid has the opportunity if he plays well to be up for. But then I also think you look at a guy like PJ Adebayore, who, from you know, just based on, you know, the recruiting sites and from everything that we've heard coming out of, you know, summer, uh, spring practice and, you know, summer workouts, this guy has an opportunity to be a high first round talent um, if, if he's able to put it together over the next two to three years. So, yeah, I think that Jordan or excuse me, I think the Jackson Arnold and P.J. Adebayore, um, maybe even throw uh, Peyton Bowen in there as well, uh, possibly be the first guy, uh, you know, to win one of those first, those, uh, you know, defensive back awards since, you know, guys like Roy Williams or Derek Strait. Um, so those are the three I'm going to go with. I'm going to go false on this one. Um, and there's a couple different factors involved there. One, like we do have some good defenders on campus, uh, finally, with Peyton Bowen and P.J. Adebowari. But we have to keep in mind that if they are good enough to win an award, they will probably only be on campus for three years and have that opportunity within those three years. One of those years is this year. They're both freshmen, probably not going to win it then, probably not going to win it next year in the first year in the SEC. And then by year two, possibly that could be a very good team then. But also, you know, it, it's just Peyton Bowen and, and PJ Adebowari at sure. that point. You, you know, let's say you nail, you know, all the recruits that you're looking for there. Um, getting them on board with Williams, Winery and David Stone. Those guys are only in year two at that point. So mm-hmm. how much help is around them at that point? I'm, I'm not sure. Same thing with, with Jackson Arnold. Now, I, I think he has a good chance with Davey O'Brien. I think Peyton Bowen has a pretty good chance with Nagurski. But I, in my mind, I think maybe the best chance of someone on this roster winning a national award might be this year with Danny Stutzman in the Butkus Award. Because we already saw him put up pretty good stats last year on a team that 
didn't have great, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> great overall presence and record. Sure. Could he do really good numbers this year with a defense that has massively improved? Because the storyline around that is going to be, hey, look at, you know, OU's defense. They went from number 100 or whatever to number 25. Who is the big piece of that? Oh, it's Danny Stutzman. He has 150 tackles and four interceptions. Right. You know, something like that. And I think I think he's able to put up a bunch of stats against a very soft schedule this year. So I kind of wonder if that might be the best scenario there. But overall, I'm going to go false. going to go false. Okay. Not a bad one. Good question, Jordan. I've got a couple more from Jordan, maybe coming up a little bit later in the episode. Next question here, Adam was DM to us. Question is, even though Arkansas State and SMU might not be the most formidable opponents, what will be the key things to look for that will show improvement in this OU football team? For me, I looked at this offensively, defensively, and it's both going to come down to the line here. Offensively, I want to see when running backs are going between the tackles, how far downfield are they getting before contact occurs? Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of different lineups that OU could roll out there with Caleb Schaefer or Savion Bird or uh, McCade uh, Mattoyer, who a guy who <laughs> I'm not a big fan of, I'll admit. Uh, if you listen to the podcast last fall, I really didn't want him out there. Um, and then you've got Andrew Rame. Uh, so you've got a lot of different pieces that could shif- shuffle around there. I didn't even mention the entire list there, mm-hmm. but I just want to see what kind of push off the ball are they getting there? Because if, and I know Bill Beanbill's lines are always, they always seem slow to develop as the year goes on, but I would like to see them come out of the gate firing and let's have our best five on the field from the get-go. I, mm-hmm. I would just love to see that. So that's one thing I'm going to be looking at offensively. On the flip side, defensively, this one was kind of tough because we saw that defense look so good in those first three games last year. So it's like, well, I can't just say, hey, get a mm-hmm. lot of you know stats. You know, I, I can't say get a lot of sacks, whatever it might be. I have to say, okay, really, I want to see depth here on that interior defensive line. You know, if, if Jordan Kelly and Devon Sears are your starters, for example, well, I want to see when Jonah La- La'alu comes in and uh, Isaiah Coe comes in as the second stringers. And I want to see who mm-hmm. the third string guys are and what is the drop-off level and how much snaps are each of those different tiers getting, for example. Is it consistent across the board? Because if it is, I think that's a great sign for you. Yeah, I mean, it kind of ties in directly with what Brent Venables' is, you know, biggest talking point during Big 12 media days was, and that was competitive depth, not seeing much of a drop-off or any drop-off at all when Oklahoma does choose to make substitutions in between series. But this this is a really good question, but I'm I'm going to be a little bit more pessimistic here. I'm not going to let the first couple of games um, this year fool me like it did last season. I mean, we've talked about it time and time again on this podcast. Adam, we walked out of that stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska last year after OU beat the Cornhuskers by 35. We were talking college football playoff, and we all know how last season ended. So I don't think that this team – will truly be tested. I mean, Arkansas State, SMU, at Tulsa, okay, Oklahoma should shut that shit down. That that should be three easy wins. I know that you go on the road to Cincinnati, Cincinnati, but with the turnover with Scott Satterfield and that new coaching staff taking over what is a, you know, a, a pretty, um, you know, severely less talented roster by comparison to Oklahoma. I like OU there. Iowa State, even though they probably will have the number one defense in the Big 12, time and time again this season um last time i checked hunter deckers and that iowa state offense doesn't really scare me if, if i'm oklahoma if i'm an oklahoma fan so again i've said it time and time again on this podcast we will not truly know if this oklahoma team has made has taken another step in the second year of brent venables 
until October 7th when they travel down to Dallas to take on Texas in the Cotton Bowl. The 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 insurmountable pressure going into that game com- coming off of a 49 nothing loss. It's OU in Texas again, 1-2 in the conference. That's, you know, it's your last time, you know, to be playing in this rivalry as a part of the Big 12 conference. If that game after the performance a year ago and the totality of your performance from last season does not get you fired up for that game. If we don't see a competitive game, even an Oklahoma win, I'm 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 not sold on the fact that this team by October seventh, you can seriously say that they've taken that next step. I've got to see it. Absolutely. Next question comes from uh, Derek Ziggenhurt. He's a guy that we had on the podcast probably two or more years ago. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, K State. We fan, lost that but- game. Yeah, we did. He's a K-State fan, so I know exactly why he asked this question. He said, is Brent Venables a top five coach in the Big 12? Oh, God. Um, top five defensive mind in the in the uh, conference? Absolutely. If we're, talking, if we're talking head coach here, I'm going to say yes. And again, I know that many people probably are going to say, well, he just went six and seven in his first ever year as a, you know, as, as a head coach. Even despite that, with everything that Oklahoma had to, you know, had to, you know, endure last year, and with all the, the late game blunders, the clock mismanagement, different things like that, Brent Venables didn't forget how to coach, and I think that we are poised to see this team take a pretty significant jump from year one to year two. And I think another thing that really just kind of makes this an obvious yes for me is, you look down at some of the other coaches in the Big Twelve right now. Who would you really confidently say outside of, what? Chris Kleiman, Sonny Cumbie, that would you would really give the edge? Sonny Cumbie, or no, not Sonny Cumbie. I'm, I I always blank on T, TCU. Uh, oh God, oh Sonny Dykes. Sonny Dykes, yes, yeah, Sonny Cumbie. Yeah, yes, I uh, totally forgot about. I him mean, too. Sonny, Sonny Dykes. Um, I I mean, I guess you could say Sark is a little bit better. I mean, he did win the head to head head to head matchup, but I mean, there's a reason why Sarkeesian's nickname is Seven Win Steve. He really hasn't done anything during his time as a head coach, no matter where he's been. So even though I don't feel good about it, but if Oklahoma can go out there and win nine or ten games this year, yeah, he's he's going to be a top five coach in the league. But I can see the other side of it as well, coming off of a six and seven year. But yeah, I think Brent's a top five coach in this conference right now. Right now. Wow. Okay, that's that's pretty bold. I I had to go through and list all these. There's 14 coaches in the Big 12 now because of the new teams there, and I think. You know, Gus Malzahn is pre-proven. He's a guy that's taken a team to a national championship game uh, in 2013 with with Auburn there. And, you know, he did good at UCF through his first couple of years so far. Uh, Then you got Mike Gundy. You've got Chris Kleiman. Both those guys have accomplished quite a bit, uh, have won Big 12 titles, have played for Big 12 titles, have won double-digit games. You've got Lance Leipold, who's proven that he's turned around, you know, several programs that are not used to winning. You've got Steve Sarkeesian, who at least to this point has proven he can win seven or eight games. Um, that's something that Brent hasn't proven. You've got Matt Campbell, who's I, I, he's kind of stocked down, I think, for a lot of people right now. But at least he's proven that, hey, yeah, he can at least play yeah. for a conference championship game. Should have cashed you've that got, in a couple of years ago. Yeah, you've got Dave Aranda, who has won a Big 12 title. That's something Brent hasn't done yet. And I know Brent's career is young, but there is a difference between being a defensive coordinator and being a head coach. And lots of guys make that transition, uh, you know, in their careers and some aren't successful doing mm-hmm. that. And 
it's yet to be determined if Brent is going to be one of those guys. So I just listed a whole bunch of guys. I didn't even list Sonny Dykes because he didn't even cross my mind <laughs> earlier. But yeah, obviously he did something pretty amazing taking TCU to a national championship last mm-hmm. year. We'll see if he's able to get anywhere ever close to that ever again in his career. Right. But to this point, all those guys have proven something that, you know, more than what Brent was able to do. Is Brent a top five recruiter in the Big 12? He might be number one. Mm-hmm. He might be number one as of right now. But on the field, hasn't done anything really at this point. He's proven that, one, he, he's not managing the clock well. Uh, he's not putting his team in the best position to win all the time. But we obviously expect those things to improve this year, and, mm-hmm. and we'll see when we get closer. But, yeah, as of right now, I don't, I don't think I can put him in the top five. Yeah, Adam, after the argument you just made, I think you just kind of swayed me over to, to your side. Um, I, I don't think that it's – again, I mean, I think that he's probably around that five to seven range right now. I mean, like you alluded to, you listed out all the coaches from these teams. I mean, I kind of forgot about Dave Aranda. Um, kind of happens when you're the head coach at Baylor. But, I mean, yeah, there's there's some – Baylor was a huge disappointment last year. A huge disappointment. Again, I know that he won a Big 12 championship. He kind of fell flat the following year. We'll see if Sonny Dykes, again, is, is, he, is he the elite coach that everybody's, you know, kind of – hyped him up to be uh, you know coming off of a national championship appearance type season or is he a guy that's you know basically just kind of a one-hit wonder and you know kind of remains to be seen if he's able to duplicate that type of success um at tcu moving forward but yeah that's that's a really really good question um from, from Derek there and i think that could be a that could be a fun debate that we could save um that question again after the conclusion of this upcoming season but yeah uh next question we're going back to the well here jordan esco asks Adam, over or un- under two and a po- – good God, I can't talk. Over, under two and a half SEC championships for OU in the first 10 years in the conference. I went back and looked at the past 10 years of SEC title winners. Obviously, Bama up there with six. Georgia, this kind of surprised me. Georgia only has two. LSU only has two. Auburn has one. Florida has zero. Obviously, Texas A&M has zero. So, it's – it's really looking at this and going, okay, yeah, I know they're going away from divisions. So you won't have the SEC West, um, you know, dominating there with Bama and LSU's not able to get through, you know, the, the tide there. So I guess you look at this and go, okay, what type of program is OU? Are they LSU where when you do rise up and win the SEC, you're probably good enough that you're winning the national championship, mm-hmm. but it only happens every so often. Or is OU going to be more like Auburn? <laughs> like that struggles a lot. <laughs> like I, I just I have no gauge exactly for what it, it's going to be, but I do think I do think the schedule will be easier in the sense that it'll be easier for OU to win the SEC title the next ten years than it has been for LSU to win the SEC title the previous ten years, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Simply because the divisions go away. Okay. So now OU will get it looks like we'll get Missouri on a regular basis. We'll get Vanderbilt more frequently. We'll get Kentucky more frequently than LSU did. So just looking at those types of factors, I think OU can probably get to three. So I'll take the over there, but not not by a lot and not by a lot of confidence either. Yeah, I'm going to take the under here. I think that the the magic number in this um, that, that I would be picking is Oklahoma wins two, um, which again, you're, you're talking about the, the most competitive, most dominant, the best all-around brand of football in in the country. And the fact that you look at the SEC right now, and again, this is not the same SEC like it was 10 years ago where, where it's so top-heavy, where it's either Alabama or Florida, maybe LSU on an off chance. I mean, you've got 
you you go down and you look at the list of the teams going into this 2023 season. I mean the the SEC West. I mean, sure, you've got Alabama and LSU, easy easy picks for one and two. Ole Miss is coming on. Texas A and M. It's kind of a matter of you know if you don't get it done now, are you ever going to get it done? And I think that that might, that might also be a good question, Adam. Here's a follow up: Who wins an SEC championship first, Oklahoma, Texas, or Texas A and M? And I'll let you think about that while I make this one point here. I think that as we sit here on July 25th, 2023, you know, 12 months away from Oklahoma and Texas entering the conference, obviously I think that from the roster makeup, and this goes back to the competitive depth, I think that Texas A&M's football team is closer right now from a talent and depth standpoint to win an SEC championship, especially when you look at the grueling schedule that all these programs are going to have to go through week in and week out. But I will say this, if Texas A&M cannot get it done this year or next, then I would say that Oklahoma and Texas both will surpass the Aggies as being you know, the, the two teams out of that group of three that have the best chance to win a conference championship. We're going to do our national predictions probably here in a couple of weeks on the podcast. So I, I do have some positive things I want to say for that with A&M because I I'm a little more optimistic on them this year than I have been in previous years. But at some point, like Jimbo Fisher has been there for what, six years now. And like, if you Mm -hmm. haven't really made any noise yet, I know he's upset Alabama a few times, but their overall seasons really have not been that great. No. So it's like, if you haven't done it by now, like when are you going to do it? And so that's kind of an argument for Brent Venables to probably be considered here is, and that's kind of what you're looking at is like, okay, which team is going to have the best quarterback situation and which team has the best coach situation to help get them to the SEC title. I think, and it's kind of flipping a coin here, because on Texas's side, you have some more proven track record with Sark than you do with Brent at mm-hmm. this point. But OU's got the better quarterback, in my opinion, in Jackson Arnold for years one and two in the SEC, whereas Texas might not even have Quinn Ewers next year. Sure. So, sure. <clears throat> I don't feel good about picking OU because I do think it's kind of a coin flip between OU and Texas here. I, I just, I'm not a believer in Arch Manning and I'm still not fully bought into Texas's back or anything like that, but I think I'll go with OU, but man, it, it's again, it, it's the entire conversation that we have pretty much every week sure. in this off season is that OU has to prove it. Cause if you don't go and win 10 games, then I, I start flipping pretty, leaning pretty hard in Texas's direction on that question and a lot of other areas that are concerned for us. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah. What do you got next? Next, next question. So uh, this one actually I submitted. I thought it was something <laughs> interesting here. Which player could switch sides of the ball and be very successful? And we, we saw DJ Graham uh, make the change to wide receiver, so he's not eligible for this question. Uh, but Tyler, which player would you – say, hey, they could have a really high level of success by switching positions to the other side of the ball. This one's kind of easy for me, Adam, and we got a we got a taste of this by obviously watching this kid play in high school down there in, in Denton. Billy Bowman arguably has a chance to be one of the best or, you know, a top two, if not the best safety in the Big 12 this upcoming year. A lot of people are expecting big things, myself included, out of this kid. If you were to switch Billy Bowman over to the offensive side of the football and put him at slot receiver – I think that this kid would be an absolute game changer. We've seen, you know, we we all saw it in high school, you know, both his play on offense, but especially with the ball in his hands on special teams and, you know, kickoff and punt returns. I think that Billy Bowman could make one hell of a slot receiver uh, at, the, at the University of Oklahoma. Now, I know there were a lot of people, you know, clamoring for it, you know, when he uh, did graduate and come to Oklahoma. Um, but, yeah, 
think it's going to work out good for for all parties involved. I think Billy's poised to have one hell of a year uh, playing safety here at the University of Oklahoma. I tried not to pick a freshman or first-year player here because we haven't seen them yet in their current position. And I, I would really like to see them first before I start saying, hey, they could play the other side of the ball. But this is completely, um, you know, just not speculation, but our own, you know, made-up world scenario here. How about Lewis Carter to running back? A guy that everyone's <laughs> talking about right now as far as how impressive he is in the weight room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was they said he was starting at 315 as his warm-up uh, weight before going much higher than that. Yeah. That's insane. So I would love to see he, you know, a guy like that. Six foot, 215 pounds, but uh, seems to be one of the strongest dudes on the team. Let's line him up at tailback, see what he can do between the tackles. I think that'd be pretty crazy. Well, let's just let's just go ahead and take that one step further. If you're going to put Lewis Carter in the backfield, let's go ahead and run some Wildcat with Jaron Canick. Obviously, you know from yeah, from, his, thought about from his time in Kansas yeah. playing quarterback um, at that school there. But yeah, a Canick Lewis Carter combination. You know, in the red zone, you know, run a little triple little option or a little quarterback. Uh, you know, power. Yeah, could be a lot of fun. Uh, next question, Adam here. This is, again, we're going back to Jordan, who I guess we, we asked for one question. Jordan submitted three. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jordan. We'll keep it going here. What are your favorite and least favorite parts of doing the podcast? Adam, we'll start with you. What's your favorite part of doing the podcast? I know it's going to sound a little bit corny, but and we're, we're going to talk about this here in a second, but you and I, two former coworkers that like we're, we're pretty good friends when we work together. Yeah. Not very often do former coworkers still chat with each other, even if they were good friends. Um, so I think that's, that's pretty special that like, Hey, we, we still have this time that regardless of whether zero people listen to us or, you know, thousands of people are listening to us each week, we get to hang out and talk football. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's such a, a cool thing. Uh, but secondarily, like I get to learn so many cool things. This is actually my least favorite. And one of my favorite things is I I've my skill set like with graphic design and like sound engineering and all sorts mm-hmm. of different crazy things. Uh, I get to scratch that itch of creativity uh, but I also get to be humbled quite often about here's my limitation. Here's what I don't know how to do. And that's one thing that's driving me crazy right now because I have this great idea for <laughs> a video that I'm trying to put together. And I would love to be able to tweet it out. Hopefully before the season starts, um, they'll be pretty cool. But I'm just like, man, I, I'm, I'm quickly finding out what I'm able to do as a non-graphic designer mm-hmm. and what, uh, what is possible. So we'll see if that video ever sees the light of day. Tyler, what you got? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think favorite part for me, and, you know, obviously, you know, we we both grew up, you know, diehard Oklahoma fans, you know, had a chance, you know, I had a chance to go to school there, you know, us ultimately with our time, and we'll touch on this here a little bit more in a minute, our time working for OU Athletics, you know, building some of the relationships and, you know, getting to do some really, really cool things at the place that we love. For me, you know, my favorite part about doing this podcast is I know I was guilty of this, and I, th- I kind of feel like you were too to a certain degree, in our job, you know, working for OU Athletics, you know, talking to football season ticket holders, you know, eight, nine hours a day, you always had those diehard fans that, you know, especially during football season, especially the Monday morning after games, you always had those people that wanted to call in and talk ball with you. You know, what's the scoop? What's going on inside the program? You know, OU loses, uh, Mike, OU loses uh, to Texas in Mike Stoops' final year uh, at Oklahoma, and people are calling wanting to hear from, you know, Adam and Tyler, you know, what's going on inside of the program? What's the mood? What's everybody's reaction? And, you know, you know as well as I do, I mean, I was guilty. I even got in trouble for it sometimes, sitting there and talking ball with season ticket holders, you know, on the phone in our cubicle. But, yeah, um, this was just a good opportunity for us to get together, you know, just just get together once a week, talk shop, talk some OU football, 
you know, that's definitely, you know, a true passion of mine. And I know that it is for yours. So the fact that this does, you know, this platform, this does give us the ability to come on here and, you know, Adam, this started out as, you know, you and I sitting across the table with our, with my iPhone sitting in the very middle of it, recording an episode and trying to figure out how to post it online. And now we've seen this thing, you know, kind of take off and progress to where we actually have a pretty decent following, you know, by, by comparison to where we were, you know, just a few months ago. But yeah, this is definitely the favorite part for me. As far as the least favorite goes, I, I mean, this is kind of a cop out, but for me, it's it's just kind of the prep that goes into it. I mean, wh- whether it's, you know, trying to, you know, figure out, you know, obviously we're, we both have, you know, full time jobs, you know, th- that's our primary <laughs> source of income. But it's just all the prep work that goes into it. You know, we try to put out, even though, you know, we're, we're not a part of Sooner Scoop. We're not a part of, you know, OU Insider or, you know, we're not affiliated with anybody. I, I kind of feel like we both still do a very, very good job of trying to put together a product that is both professional, but also, you know, entertaining and informative to the people, you know, that choose to follow and listen to us. So um, there's definitely way more pros than cons, that's for sure, doing this gig. You kind of answered this next question that we had, which was basically like, what, what's our background and how did the podcast get started? But yeah. um, if you want to fill in any extra blanks there and, and make sure that you include the very first name for the podcast before the mainline name came around. Uh, yeah. So when this thing actually started out, God, I can't believe it's it's been you know close to four years ago. We're going to our fourth season. Into our fourth season. Yeah. Jock of all That's trades crazy. was kind of the, uh, was the name that was originally laid out for this podcast. And you know, little did I know that uh, there were there was another podcast out there. You know, wasn't very highly listened to, but there was a podcast out there with that name at the time um, that I received an email about changing the name of ours. So that happened immediately. But you know, as far as the background goes, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, Adam, you can touch on your story here a little bit, but you know, I we met, you know, after I graduated from the University of Oklahoma, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, obviously, you know, with a business degree, also, you know, a sports management degree. I wanted to stay in athletics, even though there was absolutely no possibility of me doing that from a playing standpoint. But, you know, after graduating from OU, had an opportunity to, to, you know, choose to either work in the Sooner Club or have an opportunity to go more in-house and actually work for the athletic department um, in from uh, on the ticket office side of things. So, you know, made the decision to go work for OU Athletics in the ticketing space and, you know, walk in first day there you were, um, you know, in the in the cube right behind me. Um, and, you know, it's it's just been a really good thing. I think that, you know, you and I both kind of walked into working for OU at a really, really good time. Obviously, you know, going through the Baker, Kyler and, and Jalen years, pretty, pretty good time. Obviously able to ride those highs in those college football playoff appearances and Big 12 championships. But, um, yeah, worked uh, worked there for almost you know a little over three full seasons, and then many people don't know this. I, I feel like, but even though we worked you know for OU, that was the logo on our business card. Adam and I, we actually worked for a company called IMG Learfield, which is now which was now bought out and re you know relabeled as Endeavor. You know the the same organization that you know you always see affiliated they actually owned the UFC. Um, so yeah, once the, uh, once IMG Learfield was kind of made some changes from a company standpoint, um, it, it made some pretty significant changes to the overall compensation structure for us, uh, with our position working for OU tech or working for OU and, you know, selling season tickets, taking donations, different things like that. So when the compensation structure changed, that was, you know, 
kind of to the detriment of the people that were working and actually selling the business, um, then that was kind of the, uh, we saw that as an opportunity where, you know, it's time for us to, to get out and move on to something, you know, bigger and better. And, but yeah, um, looking back at it, you know, wouldn't have traded for the world. I can definitely say Adam that I would not be doing this podcast going on four seasons in a row, uh, had it not been for that time working at OU and, uh, it's been a blast. Yeah. I remember you texting me at one point or like, Hey, uh, want to do a podcast? I was like, what? Uh, sure. Why not? And it wasn't something like, this has kind of been, I think more of like your, I don't want to call it like your dream or it's like something cool or aspiration yeah. that you're like, this would be cool to build out. And I had never really had that thought, but I was like, that seems pretty cool. Like, let's try it out. Um, and Jordan Esco, he's been one that's, uh, you know, asked us a couple questions. He's mm-hmm. engaging with the podcast on a regular basis, which we, we appreciate everyone, uh, you know, who's doing that on uh, Twitter or, or X as they call it now. But Jordan Esco was a part of probably one of the very first OU <laughs> yeah. podcasts out there. Yeah, I, I want to say it was like 2009, 2010 timeframe because I remember talking about Roy Finch a lot. There's a throwback name for you. Oh, boy. But, um, there weren't very many OU podcasts back then, but I was kind of an early adopter of that space. I was like, I need some OU content. I didn't live in Oklahoma at that point in time, so I definitely wasn't going to get that on sports radio. So it was like, hey, it was, I, I could listen to Jordan Esco on the Crimson and Cream Machine podcast. So um, that's a throwback. I'm sure there's some listeners that, that used to listen to that podcast back <laughs> in the day. Uh, so that's kind of like, hey, I've just I've always been listening to podcasts. Like, why not? Why not be a part of that? So yeah, it was a, a pretty cool experience from there. Well, and Adam, you know, even when we were working for OU, and you know, even you know, kind of right out of college. I mean, I can remember. Sports radio was, was always a big deal. I mean, you, you look at us, I mean, two absolute diehard football, you know, Oklahoma football fans living in, you know, in Norman where the the Oklahoma City and even more so now the, you know, the city of Norman, the radio market right now is so OU focused right now, whether it's the ref, whether it's the sports animal, definitely we'll go with the, the ref as opposed to the sports animal. There's absolutely no <laughs> doubt about that. But, you know, we we had an occupation to where, we could essentially our job was to sit there and talk about the school and the football program that we love and take that passion and affinity for that program and sell it to the consumer, try to get them to buy a season ticket package. That way they could partake and experience the same things that we grew up on. Um, and, you know, we still, you know, take advantage of to this day. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's definitely been, you know, a, uh, it's been a blast doing this. I mean, I, I kind of think that the, the idea for me, you know, wanting to start this, I can remember Adam when the unofficial 40, you know, kind of first came out and, and Carrie and Josh and Eddie, and, you know, now they've got Bob and, and, you know, George Stoy, a part of that team as well. It's just guys that sit around and, you know, kind of bullshit, but also, you know, they follow, you know, they follow a script. They talk OU football. They talk about some of the really cool things that are going on within the university and within the athletic department and some of the other programs that are part of this, uh, you know, this university. And I just thought, hey, we do this on a daily basis. Why don't we kind of take this one step further and actually have some conversations that we, you know, we actually can do outside of the office space because we were very limited on, you know, some of the real opinions that we could have while we were, you know, working for OU football and Bob Stoops is coming in the office. Lincoln Riley comes by, um, you know, you've got people calling in, you know, asking, hey, Adam, what the what the hell is going on with the defense or why, why, why is Lincoln Riley calling this plan? It's like, well, I can't really give you the straight answer that I want to right now. 
uh, because I'm sitting, you know, 10 feet away from uh, the, you know, the guy that, you know, is currently giving, you know, Bob Stoops his football tickets right now. But it's it's been an absolute blast. There's been a lot of good things that have come from it. And, you know, the the trajectory that I feel like that we're on right now with the growth that we're seeing, you know, both on Twitter with the interactions, but also within the, you know, the viewership numbers of the podcast. Um, I didn't think that we would ever get to this point, but I've, I'm pretty confident and I feel really good about the direction that we're heading. And God, it's been it, it's it's year four. I, I, I can't believe that we're at this point right now. It's kind of surreal. Go ahead and give us the next question because I do have one of those strong opinions that I wasn't able to share at the time, but uh, I'll, I'll throw it out there now. Okay, next question here. Oh, this is a good one. All right, Adam, let's kick this off with you. Give me a favorite story or two from your days working in the ticket office. And again, we are no longer employed by the University of Oklahoma. Be honest. Throw it out there. Give the people what they want. I, I don't th- – this isn't like um... – gossip or or anything cool like that really but we had the genius idea in the ticket office to get lincoln riley to record one of our voicemails that basically (laughs) whenever we called someone they didn't answer instead of us giving a voicemail we could have a pre-recorded lincoln riley like spiel that he would go through we did the same thing with toby roland i think maybe the the following season but we're like this will be great let's get lincoln riley to record a voicemail and people will call us back it'll be great he recorded the most monotone, boring voicemail that you could possibly record. It was horrible. And it kind of, it was horrible. And it was like, hey, this is Lincoln Riley. Please get your season two. Like, it was so boring. And it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is what this guy put together for us? Like, this is terrible. I almost felt bad using it. Um, but it's kind of funny because it makes sense when you go back and look at his press conferences. It's like he was that guy in that, that press conference as well, which – it almost amazes me that he recruits so well. Like, surely he's not talking to recruits in that same manner. I know he can put the sports car and and all the other cool the, stuff around the it. Brisket. But at the end of, the, but at, yeah, but but at the end of the day, Lincoln's got to sit down on that couch in that coach's office and talk to those recruits face to face. And I don't know. I've never seen him bring like a ton of energy, really. So. It kind of all goes back to that that voicemail though of like, oh my gosh, this this dude is just trash on like <laughs> a voicemail put together for us. I know that he's not a salesperson; he's a football coach. But I just thought that was a, a funny little tidbit from our time there. Okay, I'll let you think of one of one of your other favorites here. Uh, kind of a good one for me, and I I think that we talked about this when we had Eddie on. Uh, shit, it's probably been a couple of years ago, but. If anybody that is a that is a you know serious Oklahoma fan has any type of affiliation or fandom with OU football, you know who Barry Switzer is. They call him a king for a reason. That's the you know you see the last name all over you know businesses, streets, li- everywhere in Norman. So during our time working in the ticket office, we had a handful of student workers whose responsibility was answering the telephone and helping people that came into the lobby and God bless, bless this kid. I'm going to leave his name off for a reason. You know, hope, hope he is doing very well. Actually should probably reach out to this kid just to see what the hell he's up to. But there was one day, it was the Friday before a home game and Barry Switzer walks into the ticket office, walks through the main, walks through the main door into the lobby and there's a there's a door that you can have access to to kind of get behind the door, go into you know the main office space of the you know of the the ticketing area. And Barry Switzer, like he's done time and time again, walks up to the door, 
tries to open it. It's locked because obviously there's a button behind the screen that the student worker has to push in order to have access to it. And so Barry tries to open the door. It doesn't open. He then goes up to the window and the student worker who shall remain nameless says, sir, can I help you? And Barry says, yeah, I need to get in here. I need to pick up my tickets and, and ask a couple of questions. And the, and the kid asks, do you, well, do, do you have an appointment? Or are you on the list? And, the, and Barry just kind of looks at him and kind of smirks. And he's like, no, I don't have an appointment. I'm just here to pick up some tickets. And then the student worker had the audacity to follow up with, well, can I see an ID? And at this point, and I can throw this name out here, Schaefer, who was our box office manager at the time, who is way down the hallway without has no sight of the door, yells out, "Is that Barry Switzer? Open the damn door now!" And at this time, the student worker he does open the door. Barry comes in, and Barry could not have been nicer, more classy. He comes around, introduces himself uh, to the to the student, uh, and you know, asks him how he's doing. You know, says thank you for all that you do. But I thought that that was one of the funniest moments you've got arguably the biggest icon in OU football history coming into the office and the student had absolutely no idea who he was and we got to watch that unfold so just just a few little things like that uh definitely some good moments from, from our times back in the ticket office that was the second one I was going to tell you still oh, right because that story is so good uh, I know we're coming up here on an hour we got one last bonus question that we want to tackle this one uh, was from Landon and I thought it was kind of a good like national uh, football perspective question mm. to, to wrap it up here. Four coaches here. Who stays at their job the longest? Lincoln Riley, Nick Saban, Mike Gundy, mm. or Ryan Day? Well, um, you didn't have Mike Gundy on the on the initial list here, or when I, I, I didn't. I threw it on there because. Eh, I know Landon's kind of got some it's a really, family. It's a really good there, question. So it's like, throw it in there. I, I feel like there's all of these guys have something that could pull them away. you got the pros for Lincoln Riley. Yeah. You've got retirement for Nick Saban. Ryan Day could maybe get fired, like the way things are going with that Michigan rivalry. It yeah. seems crazy to think about that. Mike Gundy could, I mean, we've been talking about this for probably the last five years. He could just up and retire randomly. <laughs> like, who knows? Yeah, I, I think that the the easy choice here has got to be Mike Gundy. Obviously, he's been at Oklahoma State for you know two, two decades now. I mean, he's the the winningest coach in, in that you know program's history, and especially with OU in Texas, you know, leaving to go to the SEC. I know Mike Gundy has obviously had much better success against the program in Austin compared to the one in Norman. So you would think that this would be an opportunity that Mike Gundy could say, "Hey, I have the chance here to." you know, kind of elevate, you know, Oklahoma State to be the premier program in this conference. But then you also look at the way that he continues to devalue or, you know, doesn't place as strong of an emphasis on recruiting, which is what you've got to have. I don't know if Mike Gundy's maybe reaching the end point. So in this one here, I'm going to go with Nick Saban. I don't think that Lincoln Riley is going to be at USC too much longer. It would not surprise me whatsoever if after this upcoming season, Caleb Williams is out the door. He might use this as an opportunity where, hey, I can capitalize off a possible college football playoff berth to where I can you know, possibly get a head coaching job, whether it's the Rams out there in, in, uh, in L.A. or something like that. You look at Ryan Day, and as crazy as this sounds, Adam, you made a really good point just a few seconds ago. He's lost – He's gotten his ass whooped by Jim Harbaugh in Michigan the last couple of weeks. Now, again, he was a couple of plays away from possibly winning a national championship a year ago because they would have beaten Georgia and ultimately gone on to beat TCU. 
But if he loses to Jim Harbaugh in Michigan for a third straight year, if he doesn't win the Big Ten championship this upcoming season, as crazy as it sounds for how good of a coach he is, I think that there's going to be a pretty good amount of Buckeye faithful that are going to say, hey, is Ryan Day truly the job or do we need to start looking elsewhere? So I'm going to go with Nick Saban in this. I think he's a guy that's going to coach you know, another five, potentially uh, seven, eight years. Um you could make the argument that maybe he wants to shy away from that with NIL becoming what it is and the landscape of college football kind of changing, you know, becoming more, you know, new school. But yeah, I'm going to go with Saban in this one. I think that he will be at, uh, at his program longer than Riley day or Gundy. Now that the word is out there that Lincoln Riley leaves an absolute trash voicemail. No one's ever going to want to hire him again. So I think Lincoln Riley what, will be you, the coach that stays the longest. What do you think of that tackling video that, that they put out uh, yesterday from some of the uh, defensive backs out there in Southern Cal trying to uh, trying to wrap up or lay a hit on a, an incoming receiver running back? It just makes total sense that Buki was supervising that uh, that drill there. So. I, I think it was Tattoo Baker that put that out there. He said, what makes this video 10 times better is Buki getting so hyped yeah. over a essentially a defensive back getting run over and missing the tackle. So it's kind of on brand for that program and, and that, that that defense that I'm so thankful we are we no longer have as a part of our program here in Norman. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. We greatly appreciate it. We'll be back next week with some more OU content, some recruiting follow-up from this uh, weekend here. And then uh, as the season gets closer, we'll do some previews around OU and the national scene. But uh, until then, we'll see everyone next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast.